Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. Acts chapter number 11. If you have a Bible today, would you say amen? We should have most of the verses on uh, the screen today. For the next few minutes, I'd like to speak on the idea of community and connection. And I'd like us to be able to answer the question, how is your connection? How is your connection? And I want to look to Acts chapter number 11 and uh, learn how we can uh, connect and develop community uh, that can foster an environment of spiritual growth. If you're ready to get into God's word today, would you say amen? Amen. Acts chapter number 11, verse number 19, the Bible says this. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as uh, Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. In the hand of the Lord, everybody say the hand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things uh, came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came, he had seen, everybody say seen, seen. he had seen the grace of God, and he was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a, a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church. Everybody say the church. And taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. And God, thank you for this opportunity to come and to worship you together today, Lord. Thank you for the songs that we sang and, and every lyric that pointed and directed our hearts to you. And uh, God, I pray that for the next few minutes we'll be able to uh, look to your word today. I, I pray that we would find the value in connection and community. God, I pray that if there's anyone here today that does not know you as their Savior, Lord, I pray that uh, today could be the day of salvation for them. God, I pray that we would understand how valuable and how important it is to uh, thrive in uh, community. And God, I pray that we can uh, grow closer to you today and grow closer to each other. And uh, we ask all these things. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. How many of you have ever been on an important phone call, but you didn't have a good connection? Can I see your hands? You were trying to talk to someone, had bad service, and uh, that is a frustrating experience, is it not? And I remember several years ago, in fact, about seven years ago, uh, I was assigned the position to drive a bus uh, for a men's camping trip all the way to Colorado. And I remember I was very nervous about that because I had recently just got my CDL, my bus license, and I had barely driven that bus across the street. And now someone asked me, hey, you're going to drive this all the way to Colorado. And so I was kind of nervous about this, driving a bus full of men. I think uh, my wife, Katie, was more nervous because she was like, I've seen you drive you know, a car, let alone a bus. And so she was a little uh, worried about this. But I remember I was driving that bus 
and uh, things were going pretty, pretty well, and, and uh, we got to Colorado, and we started uh, making our ascent up into the mountain. We kind of were at the base of the mountain. We started to kind of go up, and uh, uh, as we were going up, there was some sort of a marathon or some sort of a, a cycling competition that was taking place, and there were hundreds and hundreds of bikers that were coming down that hill. And so uh, as I am weaving my way up the hill and making the twists and the turns, and I'm just trying to make sure that I don't crash, uh, now at the same time, there's all these cyclists that are coming down Towards me, towards me, and now I'm thinking, I just don't want to hit a cyclist, because that would be bad as well, and so I'm nervous, and I'm kind of maneuvering my way up the mountain, and uh, finally made it to the top, praise the Lord, uh, no accidents, didn't hit anybody, all was well, and when we got to the campsite, I pulled out my phone, and I was uh, trying to get some connection, because I wanted to uh, call my wife Katie, and say, hey, I didn't crash, and I didn't hit anybody, and, and I made it safely, and I wanted to call her, but I didn't have cell phone service, and so I was kind of walking around the whole campsite, kind of looking everywhere, trying to get a bar of signal. How many of you have ever uh, been walking around trying to find signal, right? It's, it's, you're just kind of looking around everywhere, and I saw this road that was kind of going up even higher into the mountain, and I decided, well, I better uh, go up this hill and uh, try to find some connection. I thought if I can just get to higher ground, you know, I'll be able to uh, get a cell phone connection, you know, kind of using like a spiritual analogy, like take me to a higher place, Jesus. And so I'm, I'm kind of walking up this hill, and uh, I, I'm just looking everywhere for a bar of service, and finally... I got one bar of signal, one little, little tiny bar of connection. So I got really excited, and I didn't move my phone. I'm kind of holding it up. I'm standing in the middle of the road, and uh, I called Katie, and I kept it on speakerphone. I'm holding it up like this, and right when Katie answered, and right when there was a connection, I looked behind me, and there was about 40 cyclists that were coming right at me. And I had this decision to make. I was like, am I just going to stand here and kind of hunker down, or am I going to get out of the way? And I was kind of nervous. I didn't want to lose the connection, and then people started yelling at me. And so at the very last second, I jumped out of the way. And, uh, and uh, I, I, was totally, I was totally safe. I was totally fine. But I want you to know, Katie, that I risked my life just to talk to you in that moment. Why would I stand in the middle of the road? Why was I standing in the middle of the road? Because I had finally a connection, and that connection was valuable. And I believe that as you study the teachings of Jesus and as you study the Word of God, what you learn and what you find is that there is great value in connection. See, see, first and foremost, and ultimately our connection with God, and then secondarily our connection with God's people. And so this morning, I want to talk about the value of connection and connecting with God and connecting with God's people. The Bible tells us this in John chapter 15, uh, verse number four. It says, abide in me. This is Jesus talking. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Everybody say, much fruit. And so if you want to be productive, if you want to experience fruit in your life, Jesus says, you've got to be connected to me, for without me... You can do nothing. And so what was Jesus teaching? Hey, if you want to experience a successful life and if you want to grow spiritually and if you want to uh, bring forth fruit in your life, then you've got to be connected to me. There's, there's first got to be this connection uh, with our Lord and Savior. There's got to be this connection with God. And many times uh, we struggle with that connection because there's sin or there's a barrier in our life that's, that's blocking the signal. You know, the Bible says in Psalms, uh, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And a lot of times there is something that is blocking that connection and there's something that's standing in the way so that it feels like our prayers are hindered because there's some unconfessed or undealt with sin. And so that's why it's imperative that we learn to have a strong connection with 
with God first and foremost, but then all throughout the New Testament, even the Old Testament, we see examples and instructions and admonitions about connecting now with God's people. The Bible says this in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul is encouraging the church at Thessalonica, and he says this. Watch how many times he talks about uh, this idea of community. He says, wherefore, comfort yourselves together. Everybody say together. And edify one another. So encourage one another, comfort one another, then edify one another. One another. That means build each other up, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. And so you've got to know who you're working with, and you've got to work and strive together as a church community, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace. Everybody say peace. And so there's peace involved, there's harmony, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, and be patient toward all men. And this is what it looks like to live in the context of biblical community. What does it look like? You're edifying one another. You're encouraging one another. You're laboring with one another. You're supporting one another. You're being patient with one another. Paul was saying, hey, you've got to get connected to God's People. The Bible says it this way in Colossians chapter 2, verse number 2, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love. And so he's saying, hey, you've got to be intertwined with God's people. Hey, Paul challenged Timothy in 2 Timothy. He says, hey, don't be entangled with the affairs of this life. But here he's saying you should be intertwined with God's people because when you are interconnected and when you are intertwined with God's people, there will be stability and there will be strength in numbers. We've got to do life together. There's there's power and value in connection. Everybody say connection. I believe the greatest uh, proof of this and one of the greatest examples of this is 1 John 1, 7. It says this, but if we walk in the light, so what he's saying is if we walk in the light, essentially if you've been saved, if you have experienced the light of Jesus, if you have accepted Jesus and turned from darkness into light, if you walk in the light, if you have a relationship with God as he is in the light, watch this, we have fellowship one with another. And so he's saying, you want to know how to have assurance of your salvation? You have fellowship with God's people. You want to have the assurance of salvation? If you walk in the light, if you really are a Christian, a byproduct of that will be the fact that you have fellowship one with another. And so one of the greatest proofs and examples of your salvation is that you have community with other people. And I believe that one of the fastest ways that you can fall spiritually is to walk in isolation. Because where there is isolation, isolation is always an indication of deviation. Isolation is always an indication of deviation. See, long before someone will deviate from God's path, they will isolate themselves from God's people. And so wherever there's isolation, I'm just going to do life on my own. I don't need to be connected. I, I kind of got this, and, and uh, I don't need to be surrounded with people. I don't need to be plugged into a small group. I got this on my own. See, uh, uh, before long, there's going to be a deviation from God's path because God designed us for community, and he created us for relationship. And so 1 John 1, 7 tells us that if we're saved, if we're walking in the light, we will have fellowship one with another. And this brings us to Acts chapter number 11 this morning. And I love Acts chapter number 11. It's uh, uh, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. It's the uh, beginning of the church at Antioch. Everybody say Antioch. Antioch. And uh, this was perhaps the most influential church plant uh, of all uh, the church plant plants. They made an incredible impact on the city of Antioch, but ultimately they changed the world uh, by their example and by their faithfulness here in the city of Antioch. How many of you uh, have a nickname? Can I see your hands? 
Anybody have a nickname? How many of you have ever been given a nickname that you did not like? Can I see your hands? A nickname that you just you were uh, uh, favorable of? Well, the city of Antioch, they were, uh, they were great at coming up with little nicknames for people. And they would always kind of uh, name people and have, have different names that they would call uh, different people. And uh, during this time, the emperor Julian, uh, he had some facial hair on his chin. And uh, the people at Antioch thought that that facial hair on his chin kind of looked like goat's hair. And so they called Emperor Julian, they gave him a nickname, and they named him the goat. And uh, this is where many people believe that where we get uh, uh, the term goatee from Emperor Julian from the people at Antioch. And so he was the original goat. So long before Tom Brady, long before LeBron James, Emperor Julian, he was the goat, right? He was the, the greatest of all time. That was the nickname that they gave Emperor Julian. Well, uh, the people at Antioch, they would, uh, they would uh, consistently do this. And when they saw people that were following Jesus... When they saw people that were following Jesus, they decided, hey, we're going to give them a nickname as well. And we see this nickname in verse number 26. It says this. And when he had found him, found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Everybody say Christians. This is where we first get that word, and, and this word just meant uh, uh, someone that was imitating Christ, the little Christ. And so what they were saying is, look at all these people that are worshiping Jesus, and they keep on talking about how Jesus resurrected from the dead. Look at all these little people trying to be like Jesus. Look at all these little Jesuses, and so they called them Christians. And so the term Christians was actually a derogatory term. It was a term to make fun of them, essentially. Look at all of these little Christians uh, running around. And so they were making this incredible impact on the city in which they were in. And that was a big deal because Antioch was an incredibly uh, wicked city. Now, a lot of times you hear preaching and uh, uh, you, you hear uh, pastors and people talk about uh, these ancient cities and how wicked the cities are, right? It seems like every city, this, this, was the most, this one was the most wicked one. You know, how, how many of you guys know what I'm talking about? It's like, uh, and, and by the way, it's pretty much because they were, right? And all of these cities that were uh, involved in all kinds of wickedness. Uh, but Antioch was so bad that even non-Christians, even the secular society was saying that Antioch was so corrupt and involved in sexual immorality. And in fact, uh, one satirist, um, uh, his name is uh, a Juvenal. He criticized the moral pollution of, of the city of Rome, and he said that there was a river, the Orontes River, that was flowing out of Antioch, uh, was so uh, corrupt, and the sewage was coming all the way into the Tiber River that flowed into Rome, and he was saying the Orontes River was affecting the Tiber River. And essentially, what he was saying is the moral pollution was so bad in Antioch that it was corrupting the city of Rome, which was 1,300 miles away. And so he was saying, man, Antioch is so bad. The people at Antioch are so vile and so corrupt that, man, their influence is spreading 1,300 miles away all the way into the city of Rome, and he wasn't even a Christian. He was not even a follower of Jesus. And so we know that this city uh, was corrupt, and the city was uh, involved in great wickedness, but it was here in this wicked city that God established the church at Antioch and that God raised up the church at Antioch to preach not to the Jews only, but also to the Grecians, also to the Gentiles, and they impacted the world. They turned the world upside down. And today, if we're not careful, we'll get caught up. And man, the government is so bad. And our culture is so bad. And the public schools are so bad. And have you heard about what they're teaching? And everything is so bad. But I believe today that God has called us for such a time as this. And God wants us to start this church in the city of Fontana to be a bright light in a dark place to reach people with a life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. God has us here on purpose. We're not careful. California's so bad. This is so bad. Our culture's so bad. Everything's bad. Everything's bad. But Jesus is still good. God is still good, and he still has a great plan. And guess what? He wants to use us, us, for his glory. 
And the church of Antioch, they didn't just sit around saying, man, this, this place is so bad. Everybody's saying how bad we are. They said, you know what? We're going to establish a church here that is life-giving. We're going to spread the gospel not to the Jews only, but to everyone that will listen to us. We're going to share this good news. And one of the greatest ingredients that this church had, one of the ways that they were able to make such an incredible impact was they had this strong sense of community. They had this strong sense of connection. They did life together. See, the church of Antioch wasn't just, hey, Sunday morning, it's the Lord's Day, let's go to church, and then the rest of the week they didn't see each other. No, they did life together every day of the week. There was this strong sense of community and connection that was taking place. This past week, uh, my internet at my house has been, has been really spotty. It's been having some trouble, and so I called the internet provider, and I said, hey, uh, my internet's not working. Can you come take a look at it? And so they sent out a technician. And as soon as the technician got there, what did he do? He started to run some diagnostics. He started to run some tests. And, and uh, he checked the connection on the outside. And he came to the, the modem and the router. And he checked the connection. And then he put, put his iPad. And he went to every single room. And he was checking the connection. And he was running all of these tests, running all of these diagnostics. And this morning, what I'd like to do for a few minutes is to run some spiritual diagnostics to check our connection. Are we really connecting with God? Are we really connecting with God's people the way that God designed us to? And so I'd like us to be able to answer that question, how is our connection? Are you ready this morning? Yeah. Five ways that we can do this, five principles this morning. Number one, the first principle is this, authentic community requires humility. Authentic community takes humility. Notice verse number 19 in our text. It says this. Now, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And so what was taking place here is because of some of the persecution that was taking place in the early church, uh, the devil was trying his best to stop the message of the gospel from spreading. And so he sends this persecution, and there was all kinds of legal trouble and all kinds of persecution that was headed uh, towards the church. But instead of, instead of uh, stomping out the church, it actually helped spread the church. And the church now is uh, scattering uh, all throughout Asia Minor. And so the, 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 the gospel is now being spread. And so these people are going to different places, Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching uh, the word to none but unto the Jews only. And so they were kind of keeping this message originally for the Jews. Notice verse number 20. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, speaking the Lord Jesus. And to me, this has always been so fascinating and so interesting that we have perhaps the most influential church plant in all of history. This church at Antioch, where they were first called Christians, they turned the world upside down. And we don't even know the names of the men who started the church. Some of the men from Cyprus and Cyrene who started this church and who went and sacrificed and gave and sacrificed everything to go and to preach to the Jews and preach to uh, the Gentiles. Who started this influential church? Who was behind it all? We don't know. Some of the men from Cyprus and Cyrene. Now, remember, who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Luke was a physician. Luke was a doctor. Luke was very meticulous in how he wrote. Uh, Luke would always investigate. In fact, Luke's gospel is really an investigation of the man Jesus. And he went and eyewitnessed and interviewed people. And, and if he wanted to, he could have found out the names. In fact, uh, many people say that Luke was from Antioch. 
And so if Luke wanted to, he could have included the names, but for them it wasn't even necessary because the early church, it wasn't about recognition. It was all about reaching more people. It was all about telling people about redemption, how Jesus resurrected from the dead and how Jesus could change their lives forever. See, that's what they cared about. They weren't concerned with being honored and being recognized, and they had this real sense of community because they first had humility. See, if you want harmony in your life, there's got to be first humility. Who started this church? It was it was some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene. When I was in college, I went uh, from Lancaster, California, all the way to the city of Blythe there on the river on the border of Arizona. Uh, how many of you have ever been to the city of Blythe? Okay, not a whole lot out there, right? And uh, every Sunday, I would drive four hours, and I would go to Blythe, and I would preach at this uh, chapel that they had there right on the river. And uh, I remember I had been going for about six weeks, and I showed up one day on my sixth week, and they put a big sign out front that said, Welcome, Pastor Mark Chapel, and if you know me, my name is Matt, it's not Mark, and I thought, you know, I'd only been going for six weeks, I thought they would know my name by now, and I didn't have the heart to tell them that my name was not Mark, it was Matt, and so for the rest of the time that I went there, the rest of the year, they just called me Mark, and I just went by Mark, and uh, I never wanted to tell them any different, and uh, you know, the truth is this morning that if we are serving the Lord, and if we're doing what we do in order to receive some sort of recognition or some sort of honor, we're in it for the wrong reasons, And if there's anything that we can learn from the church at Antioch is, hey, the pastors, the founders, these people, they said, you know, it's not about recognition. It's just about reaching people. I don't care whose name is up in the lights. As long as Jesus is made famous, as long as his name is magnified, as long as his name is lifted up, I don't care who gets the credit. It's all about Jesus. And so authentic community, first and foremost, it takes humility. Everybody say humility. It takes humility to say, you know what, I actually need some accountability in my life. It takes humility to say, you know what, I'm not strong on my own. I need to be in community. I need to be in a small group because I need to be in a group that can help sharpen me and encourage me and challenge me. It begins with humility. And so we see some of the men were men of Cyprus and Cyrene. And so uh, authentic community, it starts with humility. The Bible says in Luke 14, 11, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And so authentic community, it starts with humility. Here's the second principle, number two. Authentic community is a group project. It's a group project. How many of you in high school or college or some sort of school scenario, uh, you were involved in a group project? Can I see your hands? Group project. I remember when I was in high school, we had for Spanish class a group project. And in Spanish class, the group project was we had to put on a cooking show in Spanish. And so what I did was I made sure that I was in the group with all my friends that already spoke Spanish, right? And I was like, this is going to be the easiest A that I've ever got. I just kind of stood in the background and I was like, C, you know, the whole time. Like, I didn't even have to say anything, and I got a good, I got a good grade. I saw, this, I saw this meme recently about group projects. I think we have it. Group project? They got this, right? And uh, sometimes that's the idea and the mentality of a group project is, hey, it's their responsibility. It's their job. They can do it. I can kind of just sit in the background. But I want to tell you this morning that that's not how the church works. The church is a group project. Evangelism is a group project. Evangelism is, evangelism is not just a suggestion. It is a command. It is a calling for all of us. It's a group project for us all to uh, be a part of. And that's what we see uh, here uh, with these men. Watch this in verse number 20. And some of the men 
of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, they spake unto the Grecians. And so this was, a, this was very important because uh, the Grecians up until this point, the church had kind of just been uh, preaching to the Jews from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue, and they were preaching to the Jews only. But now these men of Cyprus and Cyrene, uh, they start sharing the gospel with the Grecians, the Greek-speaking uh, people. And so uh, they, 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 they advanced the, their evangelistic efforts. They spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. Everybody say preaching. preaching. How many of you believe in the preeminence and the priority of preaching? Anybody like that this morning? Uh, uh, the Bible tells us that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to confound the wise. And so that's why at Rock Hill we believe that uh, there should be a high value on the word of God and the preaching of God's word because that is what God has chosen to be his instrument to communicate his truth, the heralding, the preaching, the proclaiming of God's word. And when you see the word preaching in the New Testament, there's a couple different Greek words that uh, are used to convey this idea of preaching. There is a Greek word, uh, caruso. Everybody say caruso. This is the Greek word for preaching, which means uh, to proclaim or to herald. In fact, when Jesus came preaching the good news in Luke chapter number 4, the word preaching in Luke chapter number 4 is the Greek word caruso. He was proclaiming. He was heralding this truth. That, that is one word for preaching, but that is not the word for preaching in verse number 20. It's, it's not caruso. The Greek word here for uh, preaching is euangelizo, euangelizo, and it's where we get our word evangelism. And what this word preaching simply means is this, to share the good news, to share the good news. And what is important about this word, and the reason I explain that is because euangelizo is an informal word. And so what I want you to understand is these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, when they went to Antioch, they did not uh, get up and start preaching in a formal sense to proclaim and to herald. What they simply did was share the good news. And so these were not formal talks. These were not public speakers. These were not men that grabbed a microphone and got on a platform and say, turn in your Bibles. That's not what it was. It was men that said, you know, what? wherever we're going to go, we're just going to simply share the good news, whether it's in our neighborhood, whether it's in the marketplace, whether it's in travel on the road, wherever we go, we're going to just share this good news. And so what we see is it wasn't just these men and it wasn't just up to the leadership of the church. It was all of these men and all of these women that were sharing the good news. Why? Because it was a group project. They all did it together. It was wasn't up to just a certain select few to do the job. No, they said, we're going to do this together everywhere we go. We're going to share the good news of the gospel. And so I think this is so vitally important for us to understand this morning that when it comes to our calling as a church, it's a group project. We can't afford to think, man, they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And, and I can kind of just sit back. No, no, no. We, we've all got a part to play. We've all got a responsibility that we must fulfill for the glory of God. Billy Graham, he said this, the next spiritual uh, great awakening will not come from preachers, but through the workplace. See, I believe that God wants to use our church family, just like these men of Cyprus and Cyrene, to go preaching you on Galizo to share the good news of the Lord Jesus. I believe that God wants to use us to go to our workplace, to go to our neighborhoods, to go to our uh, circles of influence, and to simply share the good news. This is our calling. This is what God has required of us. It's a group project. We simply can't afford to point fingers and say this is up to someone else. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 1.10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all, everybody say all, all. that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Why? It's a group project. We've got to do it together. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider one another. When was the last time we paused and didn't consider ourselves, but we considered someone else? 
We considered the people that are sitting around us. We considered the people that aren't sitting here this morning that need to hear about the message of Jesus. We've got to pause and consider one another to provoke love into good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Hey, there is great value in assembling. There is great value in gathering uh, together and coming together and saying, you know what, uh, we're going to put a great value on coming to church together because the Bible instructs us not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another, challenging one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Our mentality often is so much the less. You know, like, uh, how little can I possibly do to get by? But that is not uh, the mindset of someone that's fully engaged to their mission, fully engaged to their calling. It's a group project. How much more can I be involved? If you're still with me, would you say amen? amen. And so we see that these, these men of Cyprus and Cyrene, they were just everyday guys that were going around sharing the good news. Now, notice the result of this in verse number 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. I love it when you read in scripture about the hand of the Lord because the hand of the Lord represents power. God says, you know what? You're going to be faithful in just sharing the good news. Watch me deliver my power into your situation and into your life. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. You know what I think the church of Antioch, you know what their mission statement could have been? Reaching people with a life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Hey, it wasn't just the Jews only. No, it's the Grecians. Hey, it's, it's for all people. We just want to see people come to know Jesus and believe in our resurrected Savior because he has the power to transform their lives. He has the power to give them eternal life, to forgive their sins. That's what it's all about. It's not about recognition. It's not about my name up in lights. It's about doing this together as a group, as a family, as a church community, and watch the hand of the Lord and the power of the Lord uh, come to fruition. And so we see uh, these uh, men and ladies. This was a group project. Notice number three, the third principle this morning about connection. Number three, authentic community can't be hidden. Authentic community can't be hidden. Notice verse number 22. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Now, it's interesting what happens here. The church at Jerusalem, they hear about what's going on over there at Antioch, and they're like, man, there's a lot of noise coming from Antioch. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people saying they're getting saved, and uh, there's a lot of commotion going on over there. There's a lot of excitement and energy coming out of Antioch. We better go and check up on them, make sure things are actually the way that they should be, right? Because if there's that kind of growth, surely there's got to be compromise somewhere. You know, something's got to be, something's got to be fishy going on over there at Antioch. And so what they do is they send Barnabas. And uh, Barnabas uh, heads over to Antioch, and he's going to kind of uh, check things out. Now, Barnabas, he's from Cyprus. And if you remember, the guys that started the church at Antioch, where were they from? Cyprus and Cyrene. And so Barnabas was not an outsider. He was an insider. They chose Barnabas to go and to see what's happening there at Antioch. And so Barnabas goes. He's like, all right, we got to figure out what's all this commotion going on in Antioch. What, what's this all about? Verse number 23. Who, when he came, so he went, he shows up, watch this, and he had seen the grace of God. Don't you just love that? Uh, Barnabas goes and he shows up and he looks around and what does he see? 
the grace of God is at work here, man. This is great news. This is amazing. Uh, people are being saved, and, and uh, their salvation is legitimate. It's not just the Jews. It's the Greeks, too. And he shows up, and, man, the grace of God is at work. And, man, great things are happening. And he was glad, and he exhorted them all with a purpose of heart that they would cleave unto the Lord. And so Barnabas, Barnabas shows up, and he uh, sees the grace of God, and he sees them living in community. He sees them living in connection. Why? Because authentic community, it can't be hidden. When you really love God and when you really love people, you can't hide that. It's just got to manifest itself. It's just got to show up on social media. It's just got to show up in our passions and in our energy. We just can't help but let people know that we love God and we love the church and we love what God's doing in our lives. We can't hide it. And so Barnabas shows up and he sees the grace of God. And uh, not only could he see it, but in verse number 26, other people could see it because uh, the world was saying, hey, look at all these people following Jesus. They're like little Christ and they called them Christians. And so everywhere this church went, uh, they couldn't hide the fact that they love God. They love community. They were living and doing life together. And so uh, they, they were showing uh, that they were uh, in, in love with Jesus. They were, they were not hiding this idea. James chapter 2 verse 17 says this, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith uh, without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. What is James saying? Hey, when we uh, are doing what God has called us to do, that will be evidence of our salvation. We're going to show our faith by living in community, uh, by loving Jesus, by loving people. We're not going to hide that. We're going to show it uh, to the world around us. How many of you uh, like uh, math? Can I see your hands? You like to do math? Okay. How many of you? Um, did not enjoy math class growing up, okay? Uh, Did not enjoy math class. Uh, Paul, in the book of Philippians, he uses this analogy with math uh, about this idea. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 12 says this, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Watch this. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now notice he does not say work for your own salvation with fear and trembling. He says work out your uh, salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. And uh, the idea here is like in math class, you know, uh, your teacher typically wanted you to show your work, right? You couldn't just uh, guess on an answer. They, they might think if you got it right, oh, you were cheating. How did you get to that uh, uh, solution? How did you get that answer? And so they, what they want you to do is to show your work, right? You have to show the process how you got there. And that's what Paul is saying. Hey, show that you are a Christian by how you live. Hey, how you live does not determine your salvation, but how you live should show off your salvation and let people know that you love Jesus. And that's what we see here in the church of Antioch, because as soon as Barnabas shows up day one, he saw the grace of God at work. I wonder when people come from outside into our church, what do they see? Do they see something that is superficial or do they see something that is deep and has stability and the grace of God at work? It should be our heart's desire that when people come, they say, man, something special is happening at Rock Hill. Something special is going on. God is at work. Those people are actually excited. They actually sing out during worship, and they actually lean in during preaching. They actually sit up close. They actually love uh, what God has called them to do. There ought to be something different when people look at our church because authentic community can't be hidden. Barnabas showed up, and he starts to encourage them. And uh, uh, the, the, the outside uh, believers, they were also uh, looking in at this, and they decided that they were going to call these people Christians. I read an article recently, Mark Cuban, he's the owner of the Dallas Mavericks. He is also entrepreneurial genius on Shark Tank. Anybody watch Shark Tank in here? Mark Cuban. And a couple of years ago, uh, Mark Cuban uh, offered a sports talk host, David Kaplan, $50,000 to change his name legally to Dallas Maverick. 
And he said, if you, hey, if you just change your name to Dallas Maverick, I'll give you $50,000. Well, um, David Kaplan, he said, no, I'm not going to do that. And so Mark Cuban, he sweetened the deal a little bit. And he said, okay, I'll do this. If you change your name to Dallas Maverick, I will give you $100,000. And I will give $100,000 to the charity of your choice. And you only have to do it for one year. And David Kaplan said, uh, I'm not going to do it. Now, how many of you are like, hey, I'll change my name to whatever you want. I'll, I'll take the hundred grand." David Kaplan said, I'm not going to do it. And he started to get uh, emails and emails and bombarded with people that said, you're crazy. Why don't you just take the money? And uh, why wouldn't you just change your name for a year? And he said this, I'd be saying I'd do anything for money, and it bothers me. My name is my birthright. I'd like to preserve my integrity and credibility. Now, whether you agree with him or not, you have to respect that he honored and wanted to value his name. This morning, we have inherited this name of Christian do we value it? Do we live according to our name? Are we representing Jesus, little Christ? Are we trying to emulate Jesus? Are we trying to live more like Jesus? Because uh, many people from the outside looking in are going to see us, and if they know that we're a Christian, they're, they're going to be looking at us and watching us, and we've got to represent the name well. And we've got to live according uh, for his glory and make sure that we are magnifying his name and representing his name well. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 14, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Philippians 2.15 says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine. Everybody say shine. Shine as lights in the world. Authentic community cannot be hidden. Here's the fourth principle this morning. If you're still with me, would you say Amen. Number four, authentic community is fueled by encouragement. Authentic community is fueled by encouragement. It says in verse number 23 that when he came, he had seen the grace of God. He was glad. And then watch this, and exhorted. He exhorted them all. Now, the word exhorted is an encouraging word uh, because it's the Greek word uh, parakaleo. It means to uh, comfort, to console, to strengthen. Barnabas' name actually means the son of encouragement. And so when Barnabas showed up, he was not there to condemn. He was there to encourage. He was there to exhort them, to comfort them, and uh, to give great encouragement too. See, um, I think, I believe that many times we seriously underestimate the power of encouragement. We underestimate what one word of encouragement can do for someone. What one word of advice and one word of exhortation, what one kind gesture, gesture can do for someone. We underestimate the power of encouragement, but what we see in Barnabas is that he was the son of encouragement. He showed up. He was glad. He saw the grace of God, and then he exhorted them. He encouraged them, and that's what really our, our connection group, our, our small groups, that's what they're all about, encouragement. We want to be iron sharpening iron and encourage one another, hold each other accountable. We want to help sharpen one another. Um, I was reading about uh, Wilbur and Orville Wright in the first flight that uh, was taken in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina on December 17th, 1903. And uh, uh, they changed the world as we know it. Uh, first successful flight. And in one interview, Orville Wright, he wrote this and said this, talking about their upbringing. He said, we were lucky enough to grow up in an environment where there was always encouragement for children to pursue intellectual interests and to investigate whatever aroused curiosity. 
He said, yeah, we were able to accomplish something great, but I'm so thankful that I grew up in an environment where encouragement was the normal. We were encouraged to pursue our interests. And I just wondered this morning, what would it look like if our church just started to simply encourage one another? Hey, it's great to see you today. Hey, you should come to small group. Hey, you should be at Freedom Weekend. Hey, can I pray for you? Hey, do you need anything? See, we ought to be people of encouragement because authentic community, it's fueled by encouragement. We've got to be people that are willing to comfort one another and challenge one another and encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Comfort, everybody say comfort. Comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Now, what was the primary subject of his exhortation? Did you see it? Uh, He was glad. He exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Everybody say cleave. That word cleave is a strong word. It means to literally uh, stick like glue, like a strong adhesive. It had a strong bond. Cleave unto the Lord. Stick unto uh, the Lord. I was reading uh, a story that took place uh, several years ago where a lady uh, was uh, sitting at a park on a bench, and she uh, reached into her purse to get some eye drops, and she grabbed them, and she put them in her eye, but she realized that she did not grab eye drops. She accidentally grabbed super glue, and she dropped super glue into her eye and glued her eye shut. Um, now that sounds extremely painful, but uh, uh, it took her uh, days and she had to go to the doctor and she had to have, ha- have a procedure to get her eye back open because it was just glued shut with, with this super glue. When we see this word cleave, that's the idea. It's, it's, it's glued, okay? It's going to be strong. It's going to be permanent. And so Barnabas shows up. He saw the grace of God. He's encouraging them. And what was his primary subject of encouragement? Cleave, stick, stick faithful stay committed to god's word stay committed to doctrine you've got to stay strong you've got to have a bond together you've got to be intertwined together that was his encouragement stay faithful to the word of god now how how can they do that well we see it in verse uh uh, 24 for he was a good man and full of the holy ghost and of faith and much people was added unto the lord and so uh great things were happening now how were they uh, staying uh, committed and cleaving to the word of the lord verse 25 Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And this is interesting because Barnabas in this situation, he is a working man. And he is working and he's trying to navigate. He's trying to come to this church and encourage and he's trying to help and exhort. So Barnabas is a working man. But Saul in this moment, he is a waiting man. Because we know that in Acts chapter number 9, Saul was on the road to Damascus, and uh, he experienced salvation on the road to Damascus. And sometimes we think, oh, oh yeah, Saul was the great persecutor of the church, and then, man, he, he turned a corner, and then Saul became Paul, and then he was the greatest missionary and wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And we love to talk about what Paul did, but sometimes we forget that Paul didn't just jump right into the ministry. Paul spent uh, three years in Arabia, in the desert, in obscurity. And then after that three years, he spent seven years in Tarsus just hanging low. Ten years in obscurity from the time that Saul came, became Paul and began his earthly ministry. And now Barnabas is like, you know what? You know who could help this church? I think Saul could. I, I, I think Saul can help this church. And so Barnabas is a working man. Saul is a waiting man. Saul has no idea what's taking place at Antioch. He has no idea the church is exploding there. He has no idea that opportunity is about to come knocking at his door. And it shows us the idea that we have to stay faithful even in the midst of a waiting season because his opportunity was about to come in the next verse, verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled. Everybody say assembled. I hope you see the importance of gathering, of assembling. We've got to be together. They assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And so what did they do to cleave unto the Lord? They assembled together, and they were part of teaching. 
they valued the word of God. See, we have one common denominator when it comes to our community, when it comes to our connection. It's this. <laughs> it's the Bible. This is our common denominator. So how did the church at Antioch have such strong connection and such strong community? Well, they assembled themselves together and they submitted to the teaching of God's word. They valued the word of God. As a church, uh, we've got to value the word of God, cleave to the word of God, cling to the word of God. Like glue, we're going to be in the word of God on a daily uh, basis. That's what they do. We've got to be like the church at Berea, Acts chapter 17, verse number 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word. Everybody say, received the word. They received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. See, the church of Bria, they, they heard the teaching of God's word, and then they said, man, we've got to get into God's word, and we've got, to, we've got to search the scriptures every day to find out what's going on, and we've got to have a stronger understanding and a depth uh, to what we believe. They were searching the scriptures. I wonder this morning, are you daily in the word of God? Because that's what it takes to cleave unto the Lord, to cleave unto the doctrine of his word. We've got to be in the word of God daily. That's our common denominator. And uh, that's where authentic community can be strengthened is when we are surrounded together under one common principle, the word of God. And this brings us this morning to our last principle. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. Last principle, number five, authentic community results in strength. Authentic community, it results in strength. Notice verse number 27. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And so remember, the last time we heard from Jerusalem, it was because they were sending Barnabas over to kind of check up on Antioch and to kind of see, you know, is, are their salvations legitimate? They're preaching to uh, the Gentiles, you know, kind of what's going on over there. But now they send another message to Antioch, verse 28. And there stood up one of the, one of the prophets named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world which can be uh, uh, verified historically. We know that there was a great famine during this, during this time. A great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. And so this prophet stands up, Agabus, there in the church of Antioch, and he says, there's going to be this great famine. There's going to be a great season of, uh, of want and, and of need and, and of famine. And so he gives this uh, warning. And then verse number 29. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. And this is so interesting and so fascinating because we see that there's this authentic community where the church really loved the church. And this local church at Antioch, here's there's going to be this famine, there's going to be this dearth in Judea and Jerusalem. And so what they decide to do is they decide to send relief over to Jerusalem. Now this is a big deal because at first the church at Jerusalem didn't even want to preach the gospel to them. Remember, this was the church of the Greeks, the Grecians. They, they didn't even send anyone there to preach the gospel originally. And then when they did have a church planted there, then they sent people to check up on them because I don't even know if this is legitimate. But how did the church of Antioch respond? Let's send relief to them. Let's go and help them. Let's show them the love of Jesus. They didn't say, hey, you didn't help us. You criticized us. You didn't even want to preach the gospel. That's, that's not what they said. They said, we're going to send relief. And so what we see is one local church supporting the other local church. But what we see is that there was a community of believers that provided strength for one another. Because where there is authentic community, when we are intertwined together, the result will be strength. And when life throws us trials and hardships and difficulties and trials and tragedies, 
we can always rest on our strong foundation, the Lord, but then also God has placed people in our lives for protection, to help us and to give us strength in time of need. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 16, but to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. First John 4, 7, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and every man that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, uh, this idea about being in community and strength in numbers. He says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe unto him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. What a perfect group this, what a perfect verse this morning for our groups, for small groups. Woe unto him who is alone when he falls. Hey, when we fall, inevitably, when we go through a hard time, we want, we want to be surrounded with people that can help lift us back up. And that's exactly what we see the church at Antioch. The church at Jerusalem was going through a struggle and they send relief because they want to send help and they want to help them. And we can't resist that. Many times when we live in isolation, we're resisting that community. Several weeks ago, it was really early in the morning. I think it was 5.30 in the morning or 6 in the morning. And uh, uh, someone uh, showed up to my door and he was kind of just like looking around and, and uh, I saw it on, on the, the Ring Doorbell app and I was like, man, what is this guy? What is this guy doing? I'm like, I'm watching it. I'm like, what's going on? Is he trying to get into my house? I, I even took a took a screenshot. I think we have it this morning. He was just kind of looking around, and I'm like, I had no idea who this is. It's really early in the morning, and and I'm telling Katie just to stay up here, and you know, I'm getting ready to defend my home. You know, I'm just I'm getting ready. You know what? You know what's gonna happen? And after a few minutes of him just kind of looking around and kind of waiting, then he finally he finally uh, uh, talked into the ring doorbell, and he says, Hey, I just want want to let you know that someone broke into your church trailer and I've been watching it for you but I wanted to tell you so that you could call the police and I realized that what I thought was there to harm me was actually there to help me he wanted to give me a warning he wanted to encourage me hey you better go outside and check on this someone's breaking into your church trailer you better you better do something about this and so many times when we step away from community, we're stepping away from what God has placed in our lives to help us and to protect us and to keep us strong. And we say, no, I'm good. I'm not going to answer the door. I'm not going to go. I'm going to kind of just uh, be by myself. But God wants people in our lives to give us support, to give us strength, to give us community. We see this here at the church at Antioch. The Bible says, last verse that I would like to read this morning, Acts 2.46, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with, with gladness and singleness of heart. They just did life together. They had a strong connection. Can I ask you this morning, how is your connection? How's your connection? Ultimately, how's your connection with God? How's your connection with people? Maybe this morning you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I would say that's, that's the starting point. That's where your connection should start. You've got to have a connection with God. And uh, you, you've perhaps seen this illustration before. I brought a picture I'd like to show in conclusion this morning. We, because of our sin, were separated from God. And there's no way that we could get to God because there's no way where we could cross that divide in and of our own strength. We just can't get there. Sin is too great. The Bible says in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says that our iniquities have separated us from God. The Bible says that we all fall short of the glory of God. And many people try to get to God and they try to uh, gap and bridge uh, this divide by being a good person and being religious and going to church and being kind and doing some of these things. That, that's how they try to get to God. But I want to tell you that they're never going to reach God that way. 
But because of what Jesus did, go to the next slide, he made a way. And the reason I wanted to show this picture this morning, because of the cross, watch this, the cross is our connection. The cross is our connection. We can have access to God because of the cross. Because of the cross, we can have forgiveness of sins. Because of the cross, we can live in community. Because of the cross, we can have a home in heaven. There is one God and one mediator, one connection between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is our connection. And this morning, if you don't know him, you can know him. You can get connected to God. You can get connected to heaven. You can be connected to God's people through having a real, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads this morning and close our eyes today. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.com.